Welcome to LaGrave Avenue, CRC's Sermon Podcast. When we hear somebody talk about submitting, we often place that in some sort of hierarchy, some sort of mountain of power. But really, what's going on when we hear the word submit found in the Bible? You're listening to Who's the Boss by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21, and I will read through chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, Today, as you well know, is the first Sunday in May, and as we often do, or almost always do, on this Sunday, we've installed elders and deacons, and we've seen the changeover in council leadership, given thanks for the old leaders and, and thanks for the new ones as well. And on this Sunday, I I typically try to find something that is sort of churchy to preach on. And this year, I felt led towards this passage. Let's read it together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one according to whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. 
This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that this is probably not a passage that you first uh, associated with churchy stuff and the installation of elders and deacons. I'm going to go out on a limb and think that when you think of this passage, the first thing you think of is that very controversial thing that Paul said. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is not a, um, a passage that preachers rush to preach on. And, and that's because we don't like getting emails after we preach. <laughs> and, and you might get emails after preaching on this text. This is a text that can cause people to fight. That's always been true of this text. But I think it is the perfect passage for today for the installation of these men and women. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you will agree with me. Now, why do Christians fight about this passage? I think the reason we fight about this passage is because we read it as a who's the boss text. We read this passage as a passage about who gets the last word in marriage, where people are positioned on authority mountain in the realm of marriage. That's how we read it. It's about who's the boss. I remember when I was in seminary and in college too, this is the kind of text that we would often go to for you know, those late night sessions where you like to talk about texts and sort of be profound with each other. This is one of the things we would talk about and fight about. And I remember some of my friends saying, well, this is this passage, I mean, whether we like it or not, this is the passage that puts the husband in charge of a marriage. You know, in every institution of society, somebody's got to be the decision maker. Somebody's got to be the decider. You know, business, sports, it doesn't matter. Someone's got to make the decisions. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that's the husband. And so the way it should work in a marriage is that if there's a disagreement, both sides should give their input. And then the husband should go away and make a decision, and the wife, wife should submit to it. Wives, submit to your husband. And then some of us who didn't agree would come back, and we'd fight and um, push back. And so you'd have this back and forth around this question. When I think of the back and forth around this question, and when I think of the other side of this question, I think of the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Some of you are laughing because you know where I'm going. The movie is about a young girl named Tula, who's getting married. She's a Christian girl. She's getting married. And her mom sits her down and her mom's going to tell her about how it works in marriage. And she says, Tula, always remember, the husband is the head of the family. That's what it says in the Bible. The husband is the head. But the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants. So it gets a laugh in church. It gets an even bigger laugh in the theater. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Both Tula's mom and the people in seminary or in college who are arguing about who is ahead are making this text about who's the boss. Both of them are arguing about what's the position of a man and woman on authority mountain in the realm of marriage. Or to put it in a way that Jesus might say it, both Tula's mom and my college debates were arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of marriage. And that is not the issue at the heart of Paul's text. 
That is not the question Paul is interested in us thinking about as he writes these words. And I want to try to explain that to you this morning. In our passage, Paul doesn't just address marriage, of course. He addresses three sets of household relationships that would have been common back in those days. Husband and wife, parents and children, and masters and slaves. And he gives instructions for each of those areas. Before he does that, at the very beginning of our passage, verse 21, he gives a sentence, which is like the theme sentence for the whole passage. It's like a governing theme sentence for what he means to be incarnated in each of these three areas. And that sentence is, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the attitude he's looking for in all three of these areas. So whatever submission is, it's not just something wives do. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submission is something that I do for you, and you do for me, and we do for each other. So submit to one another Christ is uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is like the theme sentence. And then Paul goes on to work those out in those three areas. Now in those days, you need to understand that each of those three household areas was extremely stratified, that had a strong authority structure. Someone was at the top of authority mountain and someone was at the very bottom of authority mountain in each of these three areas. So for example, in marriage, in the Greco-Roman world, so in the Ephesian world, the husband would have been the absolute boss of the family, the paterfamilias, Absolute control, many, many rights that the woman would not have at all. And if you want just a sense of this, I'm going to read a little bit of Aristotle. And here's what Aristotle says about a wife's position in a marriage. Let a wife refrain from all complaint about her husband. Never complain about your husband. Nor charge her husband with any wrong. But rather, attribute any wrong that appears wrong to sickness or ignorance or accidental errors. Therefore, she will serve him more assiduously, more strenuously, than if she had been a slave, bought, and taken home. For he has indeed bought her with a price. So there's the ethos of Greco-Roman marriage, right? The woman's subservience is even more than a slave, and she's bought with a price, which is how marriage worked in those days, right? The bride price. So the husband in that relationship in Ephesus, absolute top of authority mountain. He's the boss. The father was also the absolute boss of the children. Again, the paterfamilias had the right to do whatever he wanted with his children. We've talked about this here before. The practice of exposure. If a child was born, and after the woman had gone through all this labor, and the father didn't like the child because maybe because of its gender, which often happened, or because there was some sort of deformity, the father had the right, and only the father, to take that child or order it taken out and exposed, just left to die. A sort of postnatal abortion. Absolute right of the father, and was practiced all the time in those worlds. The, the, Father was the top of authority mountain with children. 
And as for slaves, of course, the master was right on the top. He was the boss. He was the top of Authority Mountain. The slave had absolutely no recourse. If a, if a master was severe or unjust, there was no legal output where they could plead their case. Here's Aristotle again in Nicomedian Ethics. He says it's ridiculous for a slave to try to plead for justice because a slave was, quote, a living tool. And if a carpenter wants to abuse his hammer or his saw, that's not a matter of justice. That's his right. In the same way, a slave has no rights. So you can see that in the Ephesian world, a very stratified system, the, the, the one person very much on the top of Authority Mountain. And now Paul is going to address these three areas. Watch what he does. In each of the three areas, he begins by speaking to the party who's low on Authority Mountain, okay? To the wife, to the kids, to the slave. And in each of these three areas, he says something that's pretty conventional. He says exactly what you would expect someone to say according to the Ephesian model. Wives submit to your husbands, children obey your parents, slaves obey your masters. He tips his hat to the convention. It's a rhetorical strategy. He says what you expect to hear. But then he turns and he speaks to the powerful ones in the relationship, the one on the top of Authority Mountain. And here things start to get interesting. Because now Paul is clearly pushing against the status quo. Now he's starting to turn things in a certain direction. He gives women, children, and slaves way more power and significance than they would have had in that culture. And more importantly than that, and this is what I want you to see, he changes the terms of the argument. Not only does he give these people more power, he doesn't do it in a conventional way. He doesn't give them more power by telling them to try to climb up and assert their place on the mountain. He says something completely different. He doesn't say, you got to fight against the patriarchy. you got to fight against the man. you got to assert your rights. He takes a totally different path and centers around a different question. Watch. He says to husbands, Husbands, you're up on top of Authority Mountain, but here's how you treat your wives. You love them like Christ loved the church, and you give yourself up for them. Your headship, your power, whatever that is, is not for yourself. It is for sacrifice. You give yourself up for your spouse and lift her up so that she can be helped and strengthened. Just as Jesus gave himself up for his church. You are the head. You are the leader in sacrifice. So if there's a dispute between the two of you, if you're giving yourself up for your spouse as Christ gave himself up for the church, that doesn't mean getting your own way. That might mean being the first one to give in. And fathers, don't exasperate your children. They belong to me. They are mine. It's not for you to do with them whatever you want. You're supposed to turn their faces towards me and train them up in service to me. And masters, you think you're on top of Authority Mountain and your slaves are way down here? Think again. From God's perspective, 
there is absolutely no favoritism. You think this is how you are ranked when God looks down from heaven? This is what he sees. You are exactly the same. You are both sinners in need of redemption. This is not about climbing to the top of Authority Mountain. This is not about finding your place or trying to assert your authority or saying who's the boss. This is about pouring yourself out in mutual service, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The theme statement. That word submit is made up of two Greek words. Hupotasso. Hupo means under, tasso means arrange. So what it literally means is arrange yourself under, position yourself under. Exactly the opposite of climbing up, it's headed down, going beneath. And what would that look like in real life? So for example, in a marriage, I mean a husband would take whatever power he had and give deep attention to his wife's needs. Listen to her stories. Pay attention to what's going on in her life. Where is she hurting? What is she needful of? Use that power to hupotasso. Get underneath her in that broken spot and lift her up. And then wives, insofar as you've been empowered, insofar as you have any strength, do the same for your husband. Listen to his stories. Where is he needful? Where is he hurting? Where is he discouraged? Move towards that spot and lift him up. A good Christian marriage is a rhythm of mutual submission. Husband and wife paying attention to each other's needs and hupotassoing to one another, finding their broken spots, getting under each other, and lifting each other up. And when that becomes a dynamic of mutual submission, when that takes place in a marriage, the marriage becomes a beautiful thing, and it becomes a thing that shows the world Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That mutual submission is Jesus' rhythm. It's at the center of everything he teaches. When you go to a dinner party, where does Jesus teach you to look for a seat? Upotasso. Arrange yourself at the lowest spot. Find the lowest place at the dinner table. Don't climb Authority Mountain. When James and John came to Jesus and wanted the seat at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said? You guys don't get it. You're trying to climb the mountain of authority. It's not what it's about. That's what the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over each other. Not so with you. If anyone wants to become a leader, they must become a servant. They must become slave at all. Of all. Upotasso. Submit to one another. And when Jesus himself, being in very nature God, having all divine authority and power, saw you struggling down here in your fear, in your doubt, in your perplexity, in your loss, in your loneliness, in your pain, what did he do? He did not stay on the top of Authority Mountain. He came down. And he didn't just walk among you, he got underneath you. He went all the way to death, even death on a cross with its shame and its pain and its grief so that you could be lifted up to the heights of heaven.
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not just a one-off sentence. This is the heart of Christian morality. This is the heart of what God envisions, what Christ envisions for his community. This is the rhythm of death and resurrection embodied in Christianity. And it's not just for husbands and wives. It's for church members. It's for friends. It's for families. And yes, it's for elders and deacons. You guys have just been given a kind of authority. You've been elected to council. Council is the ruling body of the church. Congratulations. You're even, I mean, ministers do not run the church in the reform system. The elders and deacons, they are the ruling body. They are over us. Guess what you get to do with all that authority? Upotasso. Submission. This is about as high on authority mountain. When they stand up here and everybody looks at them, that's about as high on authority mountain as you guys are going to get. And from now on, it's a lot of meetings and reading of minutes and emails from the congregation, not all of them complimentary, and going through financial documents and coming early to church to do one duty and leaving late to do a different duty. Church leadership is a thousand acts of submission. Week after week after week, day after day after day, in reverence for Christ. And when a council submits that way, when pastors submit that way, when we submit to each other, the glory of God is lifted up. And in a world where just about everybody else is playing the who's the boss game, the light of Jesus Christ is shown and his name is glorified. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord God, we, we, we praise you again this morning that you've come down into our midst, Lord. You are here in this place, in this ordinary place with us ordinary people. And not only that, Lord, here in this place, we, we remember how you came all the way under us into the depth of our pain and our confusion and through your death lifted us up to the heights of heaven. Lord, teach us your rhythm. Teach us the way of your grace. Teach us the pattern of submission so that we can be your light in this world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.